I am pumped, and I'm excited both about uh, worshiping with you tonight, but also, of course, like you, about spring break coming up. Although, I will say, over the, the course of the last couple days, when, I'm, when I ask folks, are you excited about spring break? There's just this strange kind of contortion of their face that happens when they, like, one part of them is like, yes! And the other part of them is like, oh, God! Right? If you're feeling that tonight... That's all right. We're going to enter into this space together. We worship, and we're going to trust that the Holy Spirit has a word for you that he wants to give you as a gift tonight as you enter into spring break. Whether that means you are going on a trip with us or with some other group, whether you're going on vacation with your family or some friends, or whether you're going to be hunkering down here with anybody else who happens to be around Allendale, right? God's got something for you, uh, and we're going to uh, think about that tonight as we dig into, uh, into God's word together. But to start with, I want you to turn to one person uh, next to you, and I want you to answer uh, these two questions, and I'm not going to give you much time, so don't waste time. What do you think a miracle is? And have you ever seen one? One, two, three, go. All right, I told you I wasn't going to give you very long. Let's bring it back in. Give me a couple answers. What do you think a miracle is? Somebody shoot a definition toward us. That's the way to quiet a room down. Just ask somebody to answer a question right there. Alyssa. We talked about um, things that people call coincidences. Things that people call coincidences. Yeah, absolutely. Others, what's a miracle? How did you work on defining that? Yeah. Say it again. Scientifically impossible. Okay. Yeah, right here, my man. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought that was a hand. You were, you were saying, yeah, that's a good answer. Okay, got it. Anybody else? Yeah, in the corner. Something that's not possible without the direct intervention of God. All right, all right. Anybody else? Okay. Hey, we got some good stuff to work with. Did anybody in your conversation, you don't have to tell me what it was right now, although it could be a fun conversation later. Anybody would testify, you know what? I think I've seen a miracle. I see shyness. Okay, a few of you would say you've seen a miracle. That's awesome. Well, let me offer a working definition. Uh, all, pretty much everything I say is a working definition, right? It's always until the next draft, uh, unless it comes from God's word, and then it's, you know, eternal. But if it's for me, it's a working definition. Here's one. Um, a miracle is an extraordinary event in which the power and presence of God are obvious to us, right? Is that fair? Can we work with that together? All right, so that's uh, just a working definition of a miracle, and I want to look at a story tonight in which we see a miracle, right? So if you want to, if you have a Bible, feel free to open to John chapter 6. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and some of our friends in the back will, will bring a Bible to you if you want to have one to follow along. 
And the reason I want to start by thinking about that question of what is a miracle is, is really because this story that we're going to look at tonight is a story where a, a miracle sits at the very front of it. And I, if any of you have grown up in either like youth group or Sunday school or things like that, quite often the lesson that we learn around this particular story focuses in on that spectacular event that happens at the very beginning of the story, the miracle event. But what I want to do with us tonight is kind of deepen our understanding of that by looking not just at that front event that happened in the story, but at the whole story and try to ask the question, why does John tell us this story about Jesus? What is it he wants us to see? That's really a good question you should always ask when you're reading the Gospels. Why bother telling us this of anything else that they could have told us about the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, right? We're going to ask that question. Now, to do that, I re I'm recognizing that it is spring break. I know your brains are tired. I know you're a little bit worn out, and you're also looking ahead. And I brought that to the Lord this week in prayer. I'm like, Lord, you know that there is so much in this passage. In fact, uh, as I was studying this text, I've got a, one particular commentary. There's, there's several that I try to learn from, try to learn from folks who literally spend their lives studying scripture and trying to understand it better. One of them for me is Dale Bruner, uh, and he is a deeply faithful uh, uh, studier of scripture and a scholar. And this is a, a book that he wrote that's just a, all research, just on the gospel of John, right? That's a hearty little bad boy right there, okay? Bruner has 100 pages of research just for chapter 6. I felt overwhelmed. Anybody with me? So I'm bringing this to the Lord, and that's not the only book. That just happens to be one that I was reading as I'm researching and trying to have a better understanding of what God has to say to his people from this particular text. Folks that can read it, like Bruner can just open up the Greek Bible, the Greek version of the Bible, which is what the scriptures originally written in. That's all he reads out of. He just, you know, because he's so fluent in it. Um, so I, I'm trying to listen to folks like that. Uh, who have a deeper understanding of some of the text that I might have and understand what they may have to say to us. So I'm reading through some of these things and I'm praying, saying, Lord, what do you have to say to your people tonight at this moment? So I'm bringing that to the Lord while I'm running. Training for the fifth, third riverbank run, 25K. Who's going? Just me. Okay. Oh, okay. Two people. All right. That's great. So I'm bringing this to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, I'm studying your word. I'm trying to understand it. What do you want to say to your people this Sunday night? at the well, right? That's, that's the question. I could, there's a lot of things. I could write five sermons out of this story easy. And, but what do you want to say this week? And as I'm running, I hear just a really clear moment of, Scott, just tell him what I said. I know, Lord, I get that part, okay? I understand. What part do you want me to tell them? Scott, just tell them what I said. Like, all of it? Just tell them what I said. Trust me. All right, Lord, I trust you. Keep on running. That's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to trust him. We're going to trust that God, through his word, has something to say to you. Specifically and uniquely in the exhausted and excited moment that we all are sitting in here right on the cusp of spring break. You ready? One person's ready. Awesome. Right here. Good stuff. Let me pray for us. 
Lord Jesus, as we now turn to hear your word uh, both proclaimed and explained uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open up our eyes so that we can see clearly what you have for us in your word tonight. And we pray that you would open up our ears so that we can hear what you have for us from your word. And we pray, God, that you would open up our minds so that we are able to comprehend what you have to say to us. And we pray, God, that you would open up our hearts so that we can receive the gift that you have for us tonight in your word. We pray this in the powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit. And we all say together, amen. Here's what God uh, says to us from the Gospel of John, chapter 6. We're going to start with 1 through 15. And we're going to jump down to 25 uh, through 51. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, which is also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he was performing by healing the sick. Jesus went up on a mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. Now, this happened just before the Jewish Passover festival. When Jesus looked up and he saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, who had grown up nearby, where should we buy bread for all these people to eat? Now, he asked him only to test him. He already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip said, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to just have a bite. Another of the disciples, that's Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he spoke up. He said, hey, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish, but that might not be enough for a crowd this size. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was plenty of grass in that area, so they sat down. 5,000 men. Jesus then took the loaves. He gave thanks. He distributed it to those who were seated, as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Come on now, gather up the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered 12 baskets full of leftover pieces from the barley loaves. After the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, hey, this has to be the prophet who is to come. Jesus, knowing that they intended to make him king through an uprising, withdrew from them to the mountain. Jumping ahead to verse 25. When that same crowd found him on the other side of the lake, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I'm going to tell you the honest truth. You're looking for me. Not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the Father has placed his seal of approval. So they asked him, 
What must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus said, the work of God is this. Believe in the one he has sent. So then they said, well, what sign will you give us that we may see and believe? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. But Jesus said, I'm telling you the honest truth. It's not Moses who's given you bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread. The bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. But just as I told you, you have seen me, but still you do not believe. All those the fathers give me, gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I will not lose any of those he has given to me but I will raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes shall have eternal life. I'll raise them up on the last day. Now at this, the Jewish people began to grumble because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I am the bread from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will be taught by God, and everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one who has seen the Father except the one who is from God, only he has seen the Father. Listen, I'm telling you the honest truth. The one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they died. But right here is the bread from heaven, which anyone can eat and never die. I am the living bread who has come from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live. This bread is my flesh which is given for the life of the world. The word of the Lord. Whew. All clear? Any questions? We're ready to go. Wow. This is kind of a big deal. It starts good, doesn't it? Jesus, who began his ministry with this grassroots discipleship movement in the small towns all around Galilee, becoming very popular in Israel, so popular, in fact, that thousands of people are beginning to follow him. That's important. It's not just people showing up to events. These people are following him. Did you catch that in verse 2? A great crowd of people followed him. That word, followed, really important. It's a word that gets used in the gospel specifically for discipleship because when Jesus calls people he says to them come work with me here come 
follow me, right? They are following Jesus. This isn't some crowd of spectators here for a show. These are 5,000 men who are becoming disciples of Jesus. They're following him. Now, to scale that for us, any of you here for the Hillary Clinton rally uh, when that happened at the field house? Look, again, not trying to get anybody in, in trouble one way or the other here. I just want to recognize there were 4,800 4, people to the count of what, was, what showed up at Hillary Clinton's rally at the field house. So imagine the field house at capacity. 5,000 people who are disciples of Jesus. This is a small army gathered out on the side of the mountain of would-be disciples. But John adds an important little caveat to the story. They followed him because they saw the signs he was performing, healing the sick. And at first, man, they get a front row seat to the miracle, don't they? Right? He gives thanks to God for providing the bountiful feast. He starts to break the bread, putting it into the baskets, and miraculously, as they pass it around, Everybody gets fed until they're full. I mean, it's a sweet miracle. But then things get weird, don't they? I mean, instead of thanking God for graciously providing the bread, these well-fed disciples want to start an uprising. They want to make Jesus king. Their response to the miracle, rather than giving glory to God, They want to manipulate the miracle and use it for their own glory. Use it for their own desire and to achieve their own ends. And this is a temptation that is just thick in us, man. We want to take the extraordinary things that God does and bend them to our will. Bend them to fit our desires, to take the gifts of God and try to use them and mold God into being who we want him to be. And when we do that, we in effect make an idol for ourselves. We take the gifts of God and make an image in our own likeness rather than receiving the gifts as the means by which God forms us into his image. And that's by definition idolatry. It happens any time the substance of our faith is based on extraordinary events that Jesus did and not on who Jesus is. See, when the substance of our faith is based on extraordinary events that God has done in our lives, rather than on who God is and what God's purpose was in doing that miracle, we end up making an idol and calling it Jesus rather than worshiping Christ as Lord of all, right? We make Jesus into our buddy who's there to fulfill our needs rather than a Christ who is crucified for our life. See, when the substance of our faith is built on extraordinary events, We're always hungry for the next thing. Always looking for the next miracle. Always chasing the next event. Wanting the power and presence of God to be demonstrated in our lives. 
because that is awesome. It's an incredible gift when God comes to us and makes himself known in such amazing ways. But the miracles, the amazing events, they don't sustain us. They're like bread. Bread that's soft, it's good, right? Mm. You want some of that? I'm just messing with you. <laughs> it's good, right? It's a gift. Thank God for those things. We receive it. But eventually it gets hard. It dries out, doesn't it? Like you went to camp, some of you, I bet. You went to camp when you were young. You had a powerful moment with God. You look back on there and say, God, this was such an amazing moment. But you try to relive that moment. Now you try to manipulate it, go back, try to make it happen again. Yes, camp was so good. Stale. It's not what it used to be. It doesn't sustain anymore. Some of you had an amazing experience in high school. You went to a conference, and God spoke to you, and in that moment, you said, God, whatever you called me to do, wherever you want me to go, I am in 100%. Where do I go? And God said, go to Grand Valley. You said, I'm there, God. I can't wait. I'm going to be for you. I'm going to live for you. You got to Grand Valley and said, freshman year. Oh, I... I need something. I, God, where are you? I need something that's going to give me life. All right, I remember that experience. It's not sustaining me anymore. Some of you just got back from Passion a month and a half ago. It was amazing. God rocked your world. At that moment, you're ready. Yes, God, whatever you call me to, wherever you want me to go, I am in 100%. Already. It's starting to get hard. Some of you went on spring break last year. God completely changed your life. You met Jesus in a real, tangible way for the first time. And you're going back this year, just hoping, God, can you do the same thing again? Please, can you do the same thing again? Because I need it. I need that bread again. Can you do it for me? When we chase the extraordinary events, Instead of receiving them for as a gift of that moment, God's grace, just like the gift of the bread on the mountainside, it was a gift, all grace, for that moment. They wanted to hold it, manipulate it, keep it for themselves, use it for their own glory. Don't we do that sometimes? No, these guys aren't nearly as weird as they seem. God, they seem real familiar. When God does extraordinary events in our lives, the temptation is to manipulate it, bend it to our will. But guys, doesn't it always leave us hungry? 
always leave us wanting more, wishing for the next thing, the next moment of bread. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Three times Jesus says it in this section. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Here is the bread that's come down from heaven which anyone may eat and live. Verse 51, again, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever for this bread is my flesh which I give for the life of the world. This is the honest truth. Jesus is never going to be who we want him to be. He's never going to bend himself to fit our desires. He will always be who we need him to be. He is the bread of life. And we have to respond to who he is and not who we wish he was. Christ forces a dilemma on us, just like he does to the followers in this story. It's all Christ. Or it's none. That's the call of discipleship. The substance of our faith is one thing, Jesus says to us. I am the living bread who's come down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live. And this bread is my body, which I give for the life of the world. The invitation he offers to all of us, guys, is to stop eating stale bread, to put it down, to put away all those things that leave us stale and hungry and always searching for the next peace and to receive from him the bread that endures to eternal life there is tremendous hope in this as we look ahead to spring break look I don't know what God's going to do on your spring break trip wherever you're going whether you're going to Muscalero or you're going to New York or you're going to Cuba I don't know what God's going to do on your mission trip, but I say to you, on the promise of Jesus Christ, if you seek Christ, you'll be filled. If you seek Christ, all those other things, I want community, I need friends, God, I need closeness with you, all those other things will be fulfilled. Seek Christ. You will be filled. Look, I don't know how God's going to work in those of you that are staying here over the break. That maybe have a little bit of longing, wishing you had the opportunity, the time, the money, and availability to go away on those things. I can tell you this, on the promise of Christ, seek him. You won't miss out on anything. You will be filled. Looking even past this. I don't know what the Lord's got planned for you as you graduate, as you look into grad school, 
as you try to figure out what in the world you're supposed to do with your summer, but I do know this, on the promise of Christ, if you seek him, you will be filled. Because Christ has made a promise to us, friends. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. As when we come to Holy Communion, we practice living this out. We put into action Jesus' words that he is the bread of life. Look, there's nothing special about the bread that we are going to eat. There's nothing unique about this bread except it tastes really good. Um, But what is special about it, what makes it special, is by the Holy Spirit and the presence of Christ coming to us in this very simple way through the bread reminding us that he alone is the substance of our lives, that he alone fulfills all the deep longings of our hearts with himself. When we come to the table of God, we come receiving a promise. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. This is the invitation to all of us to put aside all the things we're chasing, even good things that we're chasing, to try to make God fulfill our desires and to simply pursue him and trust that everything else will be added to us as well. Pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, your word always comes to us as a word of comfort. And so we are grateful for this incredible promise that you come to us with this promise of full life, the substance of life right here, right now, in Jesus Christ. And so for those of us, God, that are wrestling with deep fear about where we are with you right now, deep fear about the future and where you're leading us, we pray minister into that fear and anxiety with the presence of your spirit. Root the substance of our lives in the deep soil of yours. And your word also comes to us, Lord, with challenge. The challenge to lay aside even good things that we have pursued wanting to manipulate them, to bend them, to make them our will instead of yours. We repent, Lord, of those things. We pray that you would wash us clean so that our eyes can be fixed on you, the living bread. Fill us now, Lord, as we prepare to receive. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name, and we all say together, amen.